Thank you for joining the Dr. Whisperer. I am your host, Sharon Feckety, and I am happy to bring you a show where we talk about the business of medicine. I hope that you enjoy it. Please feel free to share, subscribe, and pass it on. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I am, as always, your host and happy to be here with you today, I'm having a conversation about contract negotiations. So I was just saying to our guest, who I will introduce in just a moment, that since this show has been in existence, 2018, I have yet to have this conversation, and it is an important one. So um, first and foremost, I would like to welcome Ethan and Kana to the show, who is the founder of RMPA Advocates. Welcome, Ethan. Yeah, Sharon, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute delight to be here with you. Well, I have to say the same because you have some cool stories. Your mom is a doctor, so that means it's personal. And um, we need more bodyguards out there for our doctors, don't you? <laughs> I love it, bodyguards. That's how I feel a lot of the time. I don't know that I've ever used that word, but that's yeah. that's perfect, the perfect way to describe it. Yeah, feel free to take that because we do need more. <laughs> It'll be another side hustle, maybe. But I want to get started um, with this great introduction. You know, I always get a bio from everybody before we do an interview, um, and I actually read them because uh, <laughs> I'm interested. And uh, Ethan's bio starts by saying, Ethan, uh, HR called Ethan into his boss's office late on a Friday afternoon, and he quickly realized what was coming next. The day before his 36th birthday would be the last of his six years of service with the organization. And then I know that you have um, this wonderful photo book called Shit to Remember When You Lose Your Job, which I cannot wait to have the link to because I want to see those pictures. Um, so why don't you give us that little story before we dive into contract negotiations and all that, you know, profesh stuff. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up when we were chatting before the show. I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that we wanted to talk about that because I think it's often misconstrued how entrepreneurs or successful people get to where they are. And people say, oh, well, look at what they've accomplished. And that must have just happened overnight, not seeing all of the uh, trauma. That, that It is trauma, person. yes. It is. If, you know, when you, as you were talking about that, I had a pit in my stomach mm. feeling that feeling I had that Friday afternoon as HR walked me into my boss's office and said, Hey, at this point, after six months in this role, you know, I'd been with the organization for six years, progressively growing in responsibility. And then that Friday I had been in that role for about six months and they said, Hey, we're going to close the department. And as of next week, you will be out of a job. And that was the most pivotal moment in my journey, but also the lowest moment in my journey. And the reason I say that is because I had so much of my identity mm. wrapped up in my job, Sharon, sure. wrapped up in my title and my salary. Mm -hmm. And so when I didn't have that, I didn't know who I was, what I was. Uh, and if, and if I'm just being completely honest, maybe this will resonate with someone in your audience, but I would walk into, let's say a coffee shop I would spend the day job searching, working my resume, yep. and I would feel as though everybody there knew I was unemployed. Right. And it's like, oh, there goes that guy like who lost his job, and that right. became my scarlet letter, so to speak. Mm. So 
you know, as you talk about that, it's bringing back some of those vivid memories of just how difficult that time period was for me. Well, I really appreciate you bringing that up. And maybe I'm going to have to have you back on another show that I host called The Broken Road to Mental Health and Life and in Business, um, because the what most employers don't know is that the worst day to terminate anybody is a Friday. Mm. And um, there have been studies shown that more people will die by suicide because they've lost their job on a Friday because they will have that weekend then to think about how much, as you mentioned, their identity is caught up in their role, in their position. Um, so I really think that although we will be talking about um, contract negotiations eventually, I'm glad you brought that up because I don't think enough people realize how vital it is to understand how to let go an employee of an employee and then, you know, have some type of maybe services available when they are let go. So anyway, we digress, maybe another conversation on another show because I like it. But um, I do realize that this probably after all of the, the trauma and the hurt through that um, coming up with this wonderful entrepreneurial journey to create this company to help physicians. And I love that, um, you know, bio in one sentence, talent agent who negotiates deals for doctors instead of professional athletes and actors is really good. I like Thank it. You. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. that was not the first version, I will say. It's, yeah. It's been tweaked quite a bit over the last few years. Oh, yeah. Well, my company name was going to be Get Up and Grow, just so you know. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I what love am the I? Spur, though. Yeah, I, thank you. I told you that before we started the show. I love that. Thank you. Well, so Ethan, tell me a little bit about, so what was that like? So now you, you were, you were working in a hospital. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, you mentioned my mom's a physician and mm. growing up, she always told me, Ethan, find a job in medicine uh, and you'll always have a job. People yeah. will always be sick. Uh, she didn't have an appreciation for the fact that I have no skills in uh, sciences <laughs> Uh, and so my, yeah, likewise. So I'm in good company. Yes. So my pathway to being in medicine was through hospital administration. So, you know, I spent the last 15 years of my career doing one thing and that's working in hospitals mm -hmm. everywhere from finance, legal, physician contracting to operations and strategies. So uh, I've been really fortunate to see and have a holistic experience and uh, exposure to how a hospital runs, which is helpful for my business now. Oh, oh my goodness, so much. So before you get into it, I will just uh, share one thing about how vital uh, Ethan's role is. And I, I love that we're having this conversation because I can think of, I don't know, 30 doctors that need your services. Um. I, when I moved here to Florida from New York, um, I was, well, God, what was my title? You know, something ridiculous, like director of something. And um, really what I was doing was reviewing policies and procedures. We were an independent physicians association. So, right. So um, a lot of physicians will get involved with these IPAs. So they have a better negotiating power with mm -hmm. the insurance companies, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, a privately held uh, physician office 
versus a doctor in a hospital or a large multi-physician practice, multi-specialty, they have more negotiating power. And if they're surgeons versus primary care or pediatrics, which is what I was in, um, in this independent physicians association, they came for the negotiating power, right? So I think what the doctors thought we were doing in this association, and I will tell you, I only was there for six months because I didn't really like what was going on. I quit. Um, I think they thought we really were going and negotiating with each insurance company and getting the best rate for those individual doctors. Yes, we had more negotiating power, but we certainly, we might we might have been going to the lunch with United Healthcare, but yeah. that was it. <laughs> so sorry about that, but that's what was really happening. So Ethan, can can you identify with anything I've just mentioned? <laughs> Absolutely. And I say that very frequently, at least once a month to physicians. So the, the side that I tend to work on with doctors is I represent doctors typically in negotiations with their employer, with their hospital employer, mm-hmm. private practice employer, private equity. Um, every now and then I do work with private practice doctors. Mm-hmm. And this, like you said, it, the, that, that idea of leverage and power and numbers resonates entirely because I always tell doctors, you will have, and, and I like how you bifurcated between surgeons and family practice and pediatrics, because the, there are meaningful distinctions there mm-hmm. in the revenue generation of capabilities. But I often tell my doctors, if you join up with a couple of your buddies or your colleagues, you will have more power in that discussion with your employer about your salary or the terms of your contract than you will if you try to go it by yourself. Mm. And the counter to that is um, anytime I work with groups, I often tell them, I totally appreciate that you have a relationship with your employer, but for the purposes of this process, your communication has got to go through me because what they're going to try to do is divide and conquer. Oh, well, Dr. Smith, you actually deserve more than Dr. Jones. And we can't have that. So we need to keep a collective united front. And and just like with insurance companies, um, that's why those private practices group up together because it gives them more of a voice and leverage in the discussions. Yeah. And, you know, it's so vital because I think as an independent consultant now, 10 years removed from running practices, it was easy for me to see in the practices that I had run before working with doctors very closely that they were really great at one, not one thing. Okay. But just for (laughs) purpose of this podcast today, right. They're great at treating patients, right? So when it would come to even negotiating a lease, you know, they were like, oh, we got the contract, great, let's sign it. Oh, what? No, that is not what we do. We actually start to have a negotiation, right? Because your value as a physician group being in this space just like your mom so smartly said, if you get a job in medicine, you know, it's probably never going to go away. Well, everybody wants the physicians to be in these spaces and, and the hospitals certainly need the best of the best. What tends to happen is the doctor is, you know, they're, um, you know, I love the philosophy of a physician because they, they're put on this earth to help people. 
Yes. They don't always stand up for themselves and know how to do that. So to have you to help them through that experience is so powerful. So what has it been like since you started this, uh, this business of yours and, and working with doctors? This is the first time in my career where I feel like there is a complete alignment between my skill set and my purpose. Hmm. Um, the doctors that I get to work with fill my cup. Yeah, I could not. And, and you probably experienced this when, when you're working with the smartest people in any room. And like you mentioned a moment ago, and like I said, we're among friends, so we can talk about this, but there is this breadth of things that doctors know and do. But then when it comes to business, their knowledge base is very, very limited because they've spent so much focus and energy on medicine. My Most of my clients are made up of the doctors you just mentioned, the doctors who in their first contract, they just signed it mm-hmm. and they didn't realize all of the implications and the barbs that are included in that contract that shackle them to that employer or the, really where I tend to have traction with doctors is like they find out that they're making 30% less than the doctor next to them right? Uh, doing the same work. So as much as I feel bad and empathize with doctors for the disadvantage that they have relative to the skill set and training, it's, it's how I make my money, you know, right. because they don't have that. Mm-hmm. That's my specialty. That's what I do. And so it's kind of cool to have this one little tiny part of the world that I know, and it just so happens to overlap with this tiny part of the world that doctors don't have a ton of exposure to. Well, yeah, right. Like, I can't tell you how many people have told me, oh, Sharon, you picked the smartest industry because, you know, doctors aren't great at business. And I, I'm a bodyguard, right? So yeah, yeah. Like, well, that's very easy to say, but they also could probably do brain surgery on you. And, um, so we don't actually want them to be good at business that we want them to hire professionals that can be the experts that they are in, in whatever field they are and, and trust in them. But there in lies the conundrum of the physician mindset of not being able to trust yes. everybody so much. So, um, kudos to, I love that your mom is a doctor. It also probably helps a lot, Ethan, let's be real, because if you know what, I had a mother as a doctor, or um, if I was a doctor, I'd have that shit tattooed across my forehead. (laughs) That's going to be my next tattoo, Sharon. I love it. (laughs) Right here, right across the forehead. Oh, that's great. That's great. But you got to see that for yourself with your mom, I assume. What, What was that like? I I don't know that I had a true appreciation for her experience until starting this Mm. because growing up, it wasn't, and I I say this respectfully, but like, it wasn't special that my mom was a doctor. That was my mom and (laughs) cooked us dinners and took us to games. Uh, And so I never saw that as different. I just saw that that's Mm. her career. And as I started to, I went to law school, business school, worked in hospitals. And then when I came to this side representing doctors, I truly began to have an appreciation for what she went through and, mm-hmm. and the stories. It contextualized the story she told me growing up about discussions with her employers or her partners. Uh, and, and one thing in particular I'll share 
when I started the firm, my mom said to me, Ethan, pay special attention to women physicians. And I said, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? She said, there are parts of the experience of a physician that women go through differently than men. Sure. And I said, okay, well, I'll do some research. I don't know. And if I'm being honest, Sharon, I didn't really buy it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) To me, a doctor is a doctor. You guys are the smartest in any room. There shouldn't be any lines drawn. But now that I'm, you know, a few years into this, I can tell you, as you likely know, with Mm -hmm. full certainty and supported by data, women physicians are taking a discount relative to their male counterparts for no other reason than the fact that they're women. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know that I've necessarily have an appreciation for the researched reasons why that is to me, ultimately, let's just fix it. Let's just fix it, get the data, get those disparities into the hands of physicians so that it's not a black box. So doctors do know what numbers they should be asking for. Uh, And I do see a big part of my job as helping balance the playing field for physicians who are in vulnerable positions. Yeah. You know, even part of the story I tell when I talk about my business is um, that because I work mostly with private practice doctors that have, I like to say, broken out of corporate, you know, they've been in this insurance model for a long time. They've worked in the hospital. They've joined the, the big group. They thought they were going to make partner in two years. And then they realize that they only have 35 seconds with the patients. I'm exaggerating, but you know, I'm trying <laughs> to make a point here. Um And then they really want to branch out on their own. And there's so much fear with that. So when it comes to uh, post-residency, most physicians don't go into business on their own. They Mm -hmm. join a big practice or they join a hospital because they have, I don't know, $25 million to pay back in student loan that they're never going to make working on their own. And they're going right from school, not knowing about business, to now negotiating one of the biggest contracts. And unfortunately, um, your mom is so right about how women get treated so differently. Because as an administrator, I had a lot more men as partners. And the women, even though I am one, I was in that conversation about how we weren't going to bring this doctor on for this amount, even though the male physician prior came in at a bigger jump. Wow. So, yeah. Can we pause there for a second? And Yeah, and sorry, everybody. Share, <laughs> no, like you can share as much as you're comfortable, but I am so deeply intrigued by your perspective on that experience. What, when you saw that, and you don't have to, dramatic if I'm, if I'm poking too deep but like was there anything going through your head at that moment like man this is kind of odd or weird or not right given like what was going through your mind well I'll tell you very transparently I the fact that I was running these big medical offices I never felt worthy enough to do that because mm. I was working with physicians so I didn't feel no matter what they said, they were the ones with MD or DO after their name, no. and I wasn't. So there was a lot of, well, I, I'm, I'm certainly not going to stand up right now for women. Now, 
there's literally no way that would happen today. <laughs> you know, um, I wrote a whole book about, you know, mental health in the workplace. And, and I also changed the logo um, because unfortunately, I even when I made my logo, I had it me whispering to a male physician. Huh, interesting. And interesting. if I was to make that today, it would have been a woman. I have, I at least put pink in there. I but it's it. so ingrained, right? And yeah. it is, um, and I had so, I've had so many bad experiences with um, really just unfair treatment of a lot of female physicians that I think now I mostly work with female physicians <laughs> and I'm very proud to, and I think I work extra hard mostly because of what you just asked me. I don't get to talk about that much, but that is my truth. If you follow the Dr. Whisperer show that you know I am a firm believer in hospitality and healthcare, I am a firm believer in hospitality in all things, and in my opinion, the absolute best hospitality I've ever received in the banking industry is Valley Bank. I recommend Valley Bank to all of my friends clients, physicians, healers, therapists. They are very community oriented. They support the community. They know how important it is for entrepreneurs, new business owners to get the funding that they need to make their dreams come true. So if you are looking for an exceptional, exceptional bank, look no further. Valley Bank is the one. Yeah. Thank you for talking about it. I know that that's a difficult thing to talk about, especially in mixed company. Mm -hmm. um, but man, I, I'm, that means a lot to me that you'd be willing to share what was going through your head. And I think that probably resonates with the experience of other women in that position, I would imagine. Well, if we want to take that to the next level, Ethan, most uh, practice administrators don't even have the qualifications to negotiate or they don't know how to do contracts. Like what you're saying is, man, we can have a whole conversation about the people that get promoted. They go from the front office answering the phone and all of a sudden they're the hospital administrator, you know, like, like that's the reality of when you've been in medical for so long. And both my parents worked in hospitals in New York. So mm -hmm. I, it's been in my blood and my life for so long that, um, being this bodyguard is so important now. And I almost, you know, wanted to give up working with doctors altogether, but I can't because I just love and know that they need people that really want to fight for them, yeah. which is what you're doing. There's not many. I, I will tell you, Sharon, like I can count probably on two hands now, the people who I've interacted with, like you, who have a lens that is squarely focused on doctors uh, you know, there's, and, and, I, and I don't mean to disparage anyone who's not because there's a need, but I think there is, and that's why I think the doctor whisper is so salient because <laughs> they are not like everyone else. No, uh, they're very unique. And uh, I just, you know, living with my mom growing up with her, I've, I've learned so much about how they view the world and 70% uh, of my clients now are women. And mm -hmm. so I've learned a lot of lessons over the past few years about the experience of women physicians. And 
I care so much more deeply now than I did before. Now even seeing some of those horror stories that my mom talked to me about. I also think that there's a great advantage when you've actually been in it. You know, there's so many consultants today. There's so many advisors today, but they've never been in the system and added layer of that to have your own mother be the physician. There's, there's so many levels of that. So a lot of people have asked me, like, how, how do you get referred so much? Well, it's, I have 20 plus years working with doctors. <laughs> like that's, that's how, and I only get referred usually through other doctors. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's a blessing get... and a curse, right? Cause yes. like, their doctors are really tight knit, yes. but once they trust you, they trust you. They trust you. Yes. It's just like, you know, if you're Irish like me, like I hired an Irish bookkeeper first. It's like, well, we all speak the same language. You know, when I moved here from Florida, I was looking for New Yorkers, right? Like we want to stay in our own tribe and we need people that understand who we are and, and physicians are, you know, I, I could, I could go on for days about how much I love them and how talented they are and how like, if people only knew, they only see certain things, right? Like when you, when you see that doc driving the Porsche that's only 32, don't think for a second they didn't take out a freaking big-ass loan for that to keep up with all their right. friends, Correct. you know, they're, right? They're not making that kind of money yet, <laughs> but they right. have to look a certain way. It's so much that that comes with that. Um, but Ethan, why don't, you, why don't you share a little bit about like exactly what you do for these doctors? Because I really know that there are so many physicians that could use your services, especially the ones coming out of medical schools, right? Like yeah, you should be there teaching right. a corpse, Ethan. I uh, I am regularly at residency programs doing mm. education. Uh, I did one last week. I think it was uh, University of Colorado last week. Uh, but I regularly do education for residents, phys- physicians in training on salary and contract negotiation for exactly the reasons that you've already outlined, Sharon. Um, but, you know, w- when I think about the the work that I get to do, um, it helped to illustrate by a story, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, last summer, I was approached by an attorney here. I, I live in Denver. The attorney is also local to Denver. And he reached out and said, hey, I have six OBGYN physicians who are currently employed by a large national health system, just like many doctors, mm-hmm. and they want to move to private practice. And I said, well, that's a big change. You'll tell me more about the rationale. And really what it turned out is that they were really frustrated with their employer and didn't know what options they had. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up working with the group, uh, worked closely with the attorney. I worked with a number of attorneys. And what we ended up finding is that Really, the issue was these six women OBGYNs were individually contracted as employees with that health system. Mm -hmm. And to the earlier point of our conversation, they said collectively, Ethan, we recognize that there's power in numbers. So we'd like for you to advocate for us individually, but as a collective. Mm -hmm. So which means that you have six individual priorities, preferences, insecurities, and interests but you also have six people who are aligned towards the same goal of we're committed to getting the value that we deserve. So what we did is the first thing I did is I went around town and I said, I have this amazing group of dynamic women physicians who are exploring their options. Who's interested? Everybody in town was interested, spoiler Mm -hmm. alert. 
And so my job then was to bring them offers. So Mm -hmm. those doctors spent the summer getting wined and dined while they're caring for patients. I get to do all of the, the wheeling and dealing in the background, the contract reviews, negotiations, that type of stuff. So doctors don't have to worry about taking time away from caring for patients to do this work. I, I do it all for them. And then ultimately we got to the 11th hour. We had signed an extension for three months and said, hey, let's, we want to commit to get this deal done, but we also understand we're still really far away on some of these issues we, that the doctors had outlined. Long story long, what we ended up doing is um, three days before the final, ex, final extension expired, the CEO of the doctors uh, called me, of their hospital called me and said, Ethan, what number do we have to hit? And I just said the biggest number that I could say without getting laughed off the phone. Right. And that's what we got. Yes. And so collectively, it ended up being about a million dollars a year. Wow. Guaranteed base salary. So for each doctor, that's about $180,000 a year. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, that really, I think, helps illustrate the point that doctors are really good at what they do. I do one thing, and that is create opportunities so that you can make more money. Right. I love it. I love it. What a great, um, what a great skill, number one. And what a great (laughs) service, really, what a great service. So I know that you have your, oh God, now where did it go? You have this degree, your JD. And I honestly never heard of that before. I don't have any problem admitting that. Um, I never knew of a Juris doctor. And you have your master's in business administration. Another tattoo you might want to consider. (laughs) Maybe you could put it along the side. I'm going to be tatted up. Right. You know, I can't tell you how many doctors have never asked me, actually, if I have my MBA. But when they're hiring somebody, because they just assume I have it, which is also funny, which I don't, I dropped out of college, so. That's also funny, but yeah, they, yeah. that they don't do that recent. They just assume there's a lot of assumptions happening. Um, <laughs> but I know that they want people that have great credentials and you have these great credentials. So can you explain a little bit about um, why you decided to go and, and get that degree on top of an MBA? Yeah. You know, a Juris Doctorate is the degree that every attorney has, um, except that licensed attorneys will then sit for the bar after law school, and then they cross that threshold of becoming licensed attorneys. When I went to law school, I never wanted to be an attorney. I know that sounds a little bit. It sounds um, very reasonable to me. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It sounds, yeah, people who don't want to be lawyers, but law school. So right. when I went to law school with the specific intent of becoming a hospital CEO. Interesting. I, yeah, I wanted, so going back to my mom's yeah. kind of. Yeah idea like hey be in medicine it's like well if I'm going to be in medicine I want to be yeah the one who runs. I want I want that responsibility of a community's health mm. on my shoulders and um so going to law school was what I thought would be a good skill set for a to run a hospital you're going to have issues with law and you're going to have issues with doctors and Stark and it's a kickback and all those things and so um law school prepared me for the work that I do now, because I went without the intent of taking the bar. So mm-hmm. I studied um, Medicare and Medicaid. I studied mm-hmm. healthcare law. I studied all of these things that were interesting to me, but not necessarily in preparation for the bar. And one cool thing, and I've never actually shared this with anyone, um, but one cool thing that happened that 
it's, it kind of brings all of this full circle. When I was in law school, I was doing what's called a directed reading, which means that you focus a semester on studying a topic. My topic was Medicare and Medicaid in America. And my professor, Dr. Vernelia Randall, during that time, she told me, Ethan, you should manage physician practices. You should help physician practices manage your business because you have this really good skill set of background in healthcare and a law degree. Mm-hmm. And I thought, nah, you know, I want to be a hospital CEO. So I don't, <laughs> doctors, I just don't, I'm intimidated by them. And now when I think about the manifestation of the work that I do now, it's very similar mm. to what she had seen in me over 10 years ago now. Uh, and yeah, it just, it means so much to me that one, that she believed in me to see like, hey, there's an opportunity for you to help doctors. I couldn't see it at the time. Right. Um, but that academic foundation was so important because I review contracts on a weekly basis. I talk with my lawyers on a weekly basis. There's all kinds of things that skirt around the law that are important for me to know about. But anytime uh, we need to call the big guns in, if there's a threat of a doctor getting sued, that's where I would truly call in my licensed attorneys who I have on retainer. Mm-hmm. But my background, uh, long, long way around it, Sharon, my background really was to prepare me to be a hospital CEO mm. in the law degree and the MBA. Very interesting. Are we glad today that we are not a hospital CEO, Ethan? I could not be happier. (laughs) That is fantastic. So um, before we wrap up, I have to know, and I'm going to ask you now if I could do a part two, because I'd really like to help the doctors with negotiating. So I'd like to maybe just do an episode where we're talking about negotiating. A doctor asked me the other day, he said, um, I have a doc uh, that's coming in. And he wants to uh, rent out, a, you know, one of my uh, offices on the day that I'm not there. He said, I know how good you are at negotiating. I just need a little bit of advice. I said, be quiet. <laughs> right? I, say, I say shut up, Sharon. Like, well, yeah, listen, <laughs> one of my favorite, and you'll appreciate this. Um, I have this amazing attorney. He's been on the show before, Jeff Goodis. He knows I adore him. He's a malpractice attorney here in Tampa Bay. And he taught me when I was running this practice years ago, um, we've stayed friends. He said, um, he said, you need to tell that doctor to ATFQ. And I'm like, ATFQ, huh? And I knew he was a storyteller, you know, it's what he did. And he, he loved to talk. And I'm like, and you're an attorney. I used to work for attorneys back in the day. So I said, answer the fucking question. That's it. Isn't ah, it? I love it. I love it. ATFQ. ATFQ. And I'll tell you what, I've said that to more doctors through the years. Like, you don't need to tell a story. You just got to answer that question. Yes or no. Man, that's great. I really like that. And it's resonating with a a pardon me, a situation that I'm in right now where that could be a really good advice. Yeah. And they never forget it. And they never come up with it. I'm like, wow, man, you never spent any time in New York, did you? So, okay, this is it. I know, I I know this might not be politically correct, but who cares? You have to remember this. So yeah, I'd love for you to come back and and do um, something that I really think could really help them. Um, And and I know that you also have this degree in public relations, like how important that is for doctors. Oh, Lord. 
Um, it's really, really amazing what you've, you've been able to do, but you've been this entrepreneur now for the last two going years, on three, going on three going on years. Three? Yeah. I am officially in year three now. Okay. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, fear that is wrapped up in entrepreneurship. Um, and I want to know what it was like for you, uh, in that first year and, and how, how it is today in comparison. Yeah. The first year was really hard, really, really hard. Um, if, and I often say to people that if I would go back to 2019 and have this idea without losing my job, I would not have had the guts to do it. Right. Losing my job helped me understand and see the game for what it is. Like, there's no safety here. You know, mm-hmm. this idea of uh, the safe route, like, that's not a thing. Um, I cried a lot my first yeah. year. It was really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got my feelings hurt quite a bit because going back to that job and identity thing, like this, the job is me. RMPA is me. There's no, there's nobody else. There's like, it is me. It's my idea. It's my business. Uh, and so I took some lumps that first year. Uh, my counselor was super helpful. I see her once a month. She was extremely helpful during that time, developing skills and reminders about like, you were built for this. Um, what I will say now is, and I say this so respectfully, I don't mean this in like an arrogant way, but I made more in my second year by myself than right. I did in my 15th year working in a W2 job. Yeah. And now like, yes, I cried a bunch my first year. It was super hard. I didn't, you know, I gave myself initially at a six month financial runway with what I had in savings. And my partner and I said, well, if you can't make it work in those six months, you got to go find a job. (laughs) Uh, Fortunately, I got my first check in month five, which was great. But more important than that, that time was full of uncertainty. Mm. It was full of doubt, fear, anxiety, uh, self-deprecation. I mean, Mm. all kinds of things. Like, who are you to build this thing and then call yourself an agent uh, and then act like you know what you're doing. I mean, there were times where I was really hard on myself. And now I was talking with a buddy yesterday and I get calls from people who I don't know who say, hey, I heard you do this thing. Can you help me? Mm. And that to me is the most fulfilling feeling because it validates what I've been through the past two and a half years Mm. validates the posting on social media every day validates, um, you know, the days where I didn't know if it was going to work, but I still sent those emails. I still got up and did the things that I knew I needed to do to have the business be successful, not knowing how it would actually turn out. Mm. And I, I couldn't be more fulfilled Sharon with where I am today. And all I see is the sky from here. Yes. I was at the nail salon this morning and the nail technician said to me, oh, you have off today? <laughs> and that's oh, exactly I'm what I'm right now. Right. I laughed and I said, oh, I'm always working. Exactly. But I got this great thing. Though, like- yeah. I'm like, I got this phone and that helps me run a business from anywhere I go. That to me is such a fascinating uh, 
uh, experience being an entrepreneur yeah. because yes, there are certain days where I have to have my butt in the chair going through a contract or working on a strategy for a doc. But also there are days where I'm out taking a walk and I'll be talking to a client or, you know, I'm out at the museum and I'll get a call from a client or review something. So uh, it's such an interesting like experience to like be out and sweat sometimes. And it's like, oh yeah, I could be working talking yeah. to a client. Yeah, totally. It is. And it is the best decision that you uh, probably never thought you could have ever uh, made because your identity was wrapped so much in that. And, um, you know, I I learned this one of my dentist clients said uh, something I've never forgotten was we would talk a lot about terminating his employees. And um, he said, you know what, Sharon, you know what we're doing? We're just freeing up their future. Yeah. And that's really stuck with me like sometimes it does take that to free up somebody else's future so they did even though it didn't feel like a damn favor but they did you the greatest service they could have ever done by by letting you go and their damn loss and if you're listening people stop firing people on fridays big dummy (laughs) right it's not about making it easy for you we got to start caring more about the people that work for us yeah you know, if you've committed some time of your life to making somebody else some money, we have to start thinking more of the mental health of the people that would be leaving that position. It's a very fragile conversation to have. So I'm glad that that's how we started and we'll we'll have to continue this, Ethan. So all of the information of how to get in touch with Ethan will be in the show notes and look forward to uh, doing part two with you if you'll if you'll do me that service. And oh, come. it would be a delight. Are you kidding? Yay. <laughs> Thank you, Ethan. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Sharon. Thanks for having me today. Remember, if you are looking for a bank that supports you and your community and supports women, check out Valley Bank. Valley Women in Business. It's a thing.